Folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is October the 23rd, 2018. This is episode 2314 of the Survival Podcast. And today is called, Why Lifestyle Design is for Everyone. Lifestyle design is a concept that... I think a lot of people today think of as, as being originated by Tim Ferriss. And if you haven't heard of him, he's a prolific author and entrepreneur. And in the four-hour work week, he, he probably brought more awareness to the term and the concept of lifestyle design than anybody in modern times. Uh, lifestyle design has also been part of what we've taught here at TSP uh, since 2008, since we started. But neither I nor Tim Ferriss get any credit whatsoever for the origination of the concept. Lifestyle design is probably as old as civilization itself. There have always been people who lived a little bit differently than other people. They paid attention to what they were doing, they knew where they were, they knew where they wanted to go, and they wrote plans or made plans to get there, and they combined that with drive. And the combination of drive and design led to success. Even if it didn't lead, lead to the exact success they were looking for, it led to ex success above their peers. Uh, and, and when you look throughout society and you look at the people that always rose above their peers, they always share this in common, that they had a plan for themselves in their lives rather than let other people do the designing for them. And, I mean, you can go back to things like uh, we did a show recently with John Pugliano about a month and a half ago on The Richest Man in Babylon. That book was written in 1926. And it is all about lifestyle design. The entire book is about lifestyle design. It dominates in the financial component of lifestyle design. But in the words of another well-known speaker, Dave Ramsey, people who win in the world of money tend to win in life. And I know you can think of like some greedy rich person who was miserable, miser. No, that's that is the the, the the vast exception to the rule. In general. People that work hard to manage their money and have discipline with their money, that ends up permeating the rest of their life and they practice lifestyle design even if they don't know that's what they're doing. And that's the thing about lifestyle design. The reason it goes back to the beginnings of civilization is that it's something that people who succeed do even if they don't think of it that way, even if they don't think of the term. And that means if you want success, independence, liberty, resiliency, etc. in your life, lifestyle design is what you should be doing. We're going to talk about that today. Uh, I'm going to explain to you why you either do it or someone does it for you in a way that you probably don't want to happen, and it's happening now if you're not proactively working on the other end. I'm going to talk about how it affects the way we look at retirement. I'm going to talk about how it affects our family and our relationships. I'm going to talk about how we get kids doing it. It's going to be a great show. If you can't tell, I'm a little bit fired up about today's subject. Before we dig into it, though, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day, number one today, is RidgeWallet.com. I love the Ridge Wallet. The Ridge Wallet has become a piece of my EDC gear instead of my old wallet that made a lump on my butt. 
The problem with that is whenever I do get off my ass, leave the house, and go out and about in my truck, uh, I knew enough that it was bad for my posture. I pulled that big old lump out of my butt and stuck it in my little cubby hole. And I'd find myself leaving my wallet in my truck and having to go back out. It sucked. And then I realized as I learned about Ridge Wallet that like my old school wallet did nothing to protect the RFID information on my credit cards and other things like that that are in our wallets today. So when I found Ridge Wallet, yes, it made me get rid of some stuff I used to carry around in my wallet. But as I minimized, I realized I didn't miss any of it. It, it didn't bother me at all. It's always there. I keep it in my front pocket clipped like a, like a, like a liner lock knife. And because of that, it's always available, and it's never uncomfortable. It's never in my way, and my identity is secure. You can learn more about the Ridge Wallet at RidgeWallet.com, and those of you that are MSB members, you can get a discount on all the products, not just the wallet, but everything at RidgeWallet.com. Next up today, JM Bullion. We're going to talk about lifestyle design today. One thing you want to design into your life is resiliency. And resiliency means if things go bad for others, you have something that you've hedged against that happening with. Silver and gold are a great way to do that. Now, I'm not one of these guys, if you've listened a long time, I'm not like, you know, get rid of all your money before it's worthless. I don't do that. Uh, the, the, the dollar has inflation against it, but it is the main means of exchange we use in the world today. But silver and gold are stores of value, and they are the most anonymous way I know to transfer wealth from one person to another, including to your heirs. It's a great way to build up value in the lives of your kids. Instead of buying them one more piece of plastic crap at Christmas, buy them a couple ounces of silver, get them a treasure chest, put it in there, do that for your nieces and nephews, guys. Look, man, it is, it is the way to go. Um, my grandson, I went and found him a really cool-looking wooden treasure chest. He keeps it hidden away. And every time I give him a piece of silver, he puts it in there. And he's not going to get rid of that stuff. That's going to be with him when he's going into college or if he's going off to create a job, uh, a career or build a business or whatever. He's going to have that wealth. And he's either going to hold it back or he's going to use it to fund his life. And that's awesome. And he's learning about value. And we're instilling a little bit of lifestyle design and a little bit of understanding that some of the wealth you come by, you keep rather than spend to buy garbage, right? So... You know, silver is wonderful for that. You can buy it for small amounts of money in small quantities. Gold, you can hold a little bit more. You can hold a lot more value in the same amount of space. <clears throat> Both of them provide that insurance plan against inflation and against catastrophic loss in the financial markets. So they're just awesome. But one thing about them is, why would you spend more on them than you have to? I mean, the whole point of silver and gold is it's all the same. So get the best price and the best service, and the place to do that is jmbullion.com. And Jack Spirgo, me, myself, and I, I get you guys a discount at Jam Bullion. No one gets discounts on silver and gold, but you do if you're an MSB member. So check them out today at jambullion.com. Next up, I want to apologize for a screw-up yesterday. I kind of messed up, didn't I? Um, I had two media segments. Uh, one was on uh, weather activity, and the other one was on... Um, how Uber and Lyft have destroyed the value of what they call taxi medallions. And uh, I, I, I flip-flopped them where they should have been in the show. I'm sorry about that. I had so much going on yesterday. When I sent the daily email out yesterday, I think I screwed up one link and I left another link out. I'm sorry, guys. Yesterday I worked till like almost 8 o'clock. I just had so much to get done and uh, some things that went on that had to be done behind the scenes. You know, I'm getting up within two weeks of the workshop. Things get like this this time of year, especially on Monday, so I apologize for that. Uh, but another thing I wanted to kind of remind you guys with before we get into today's subject is MSB. 
We're on sale with MSB, right, guys? So you can get the MSB right now for $30 a year instead of $50 a year. That rate will lock in for as long as you maintain an active account. The discount code is FALL18, F-A-L-L-18. That sale is running for one week, and you know how I am with my sales. When they're over, they're over. I don't care if your dog ate your discount code. The sale's over. So if you've been waiting to become a member, FALL18 is your code, uh, and it will get you the MSB for $30. Uh, next up, uh, let's go ahead and uh, take a look at this day in history. Let's go back to 1983. I'm going to go short with it today because I'm, I'm really psyched to get into today's show. But I, I saw yesterday that this was coming up, and it, it made me think back. I was very young in 1983, but on this day, October 23rd, 1983, the Marine barracks in Beirut, Lebanon, were bone, uh, blown up. A suicide bomber drove a truck packed with explosives into a U.S. Marine barracks in Beirut, killing 241 U.S. military personnel. That same morning, 58 French soldiers were killed in their barracks two miles away in separate suicide Uh, attacks, and the U.S. Marines were part of a multinational force sent to Lebanon in August 82 to oversee Palestinian withdrawal from Lebanon. From its inception, the mission was plugged with problems and a mounting body count. Uh, they actually had left uh, almost completely and then come back. And the reason they had done that is, you know, this is stuff we don't talk about with the Middle East, but a Christian militia in Lebanon had, like, wiped out a group of Palestinians, like, slaughtered them. And it was so we were in the middle of this, this, this conflict as peacekeepers. And this role doesn't work well for anybody, but especially for U.S. military. U.S. military is not trained to sit in the middle of two sides fighting and not fight to try to prevent fighting. That's not what we do. The U.S. military, whether you like it or not, what they are trained to do is take objectives and kill people. And the way that I feel about our military is this. If whatever you're sending them to do, when it comes to combat, I'm not talking about, we do some amazing things with our military, with search and rescue, with helping people. Our military contributes to the rescue of people in disasters like hurricanes. Uh, we do humanitarian missions. So I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about where you're locked and loaded and you're, there's going to be bullets flying. If it is not, a situation where our country is at risk enough to take objectives and kill people, don't send our combat military there. Because that's what they're trained to do. And we are not here to be the world's police force. Unfortunately, we are. The thing is, I think that people, are, you know, like my age, I posted this on Facebook last night. I said, who's old enough to remember this? Who actually remembers this? See, I remember this because of how hard this hit my grandmother. I've mentioned before, in fact, yesterday, My grandparents were in Lebanon during the Cuban Missile Crisis. They lived there. They had seen it transform from one way to the other and back. And when this happened, my, my grandmother, who was quite old by this time, and she was a hard old woman. She had been through World War II. She had been through the Depression. I remember her saying, if, and this is not my words. This is my, my grandmother's words from a different time. If they keep this shit up, they're going to get the bombs up their ass the way the Japs did. And that was the attitude of that generation. You don't mess with the United States. And I think that there is you know, good and bad there, but I think we definitely have lost something as that generation has reached an age where most of them have now left us. And uh, But I, I, I can never forget that, that occurrence. I really can't. There's a lot of things... That I think, again, people in their 40s and 50s remember that younger generations don't have, so they don't have that context. 
That's not putting you down, guys, that are younger, because in another 20 years, you're going to have context that the next generation doesn't. The more things are, the more things change, the more they really stay the same. And boy, in the Middle East, the United States sticking our finger into stuff and wishing we didn't, that's about it. It's us. About 120 years old at this point. All right, so with that, let's go ahead and uh, get into the main topic of today's show, which, of course, is lifestyle design. Um, what I really want you to understand about this right from the beginning is exactly what lifestyle design is all about. And I, I've used this analogy before, but it is the best one that I know. Every day, all across the world, Ships leave ports. Sometimes they're a small crew, a private, you know, basically yacht. Sometimes it's a giant freighter bringing a whole bunch of plastic crap from China, etc. But this happens all over the world. And somebody's a captain of that ship. It could be an individual that's just like, again, a private uh, yacht owner. Or it could be a professional captain who's had many years at seas uh, in charge of a naval vessel, you know, like a battleship or a carrier or a submarine. Or, again, a freighter captain. And all of those people have something in common. They have enough experience to move that vessel from point A to point B, and they use that experience to chart a course. And they say, we're going to leave port A on this day. This is how many nautical miles it is. This is the currents and the seas and all the other things that will impact us. This is expected weather. This is our contingency plans. And we expect to arrive at port B on this day about this time. And they even notify ahead a harbor master, hey, we're going to be showing up, we're going to need a place, do we have one, etc. And 99% of the time, those ships get where they're supposed to be. And I want you now see yourself as you, your body is the ship and your brain is the captain. And if you were going to sail a ship, let's say from Tokyo, Japan to Los Angeles, How insane would it be for you to just say, well, we know, we know we need to head east, so kind of take a bearing with a compass and just roll on out of here. Let's go. What, what, I mean, if you were going to get on a ship and you heard a captain say that and you realized it wasn't a joke that he was serious, wouldn't you get off the ship before it left? Like, I'm not going to be part of some movie in the future, right, where people eat each other at sea. That's, that's not where I'm going to end up. I'm not getting on this ship. When you don't take charge of your life, that's what you've just done. You've just gotten on a ship with a captain with no interest in designing a plan on how to get that ship to where it's supposed to go. And this is why most people end up in their life not getting where they want. Because they have no plan. They don't even know. Now, imagine this even further. At least the crazy captain we just talked about in Tokyo, right? At least that crazy captain knew, well, I, I, I want to get to L.A. You know? I want to go to Los Angeles. And so, at least along the way, if he kind of wakes up to some things, hey, we're kind of heading south, it kind of turn it back a little. Like So at least he knows where he's going. Most people don't even know where they're going. You know, it, it's, it's go to school, go to college, get a job. And plan for retirement. Maybe get married along the way. Maybe not. That's kind of like the majority of people, that is their plan. So with that being the case, you, you, the, the important thing here to understand is, well, then why do so many people end up not where they want to be, but relatively okay? Because if we ran shipping that way, 
right? If we ran shipping that way, there'd be people dying all the time. We'd have shortages in goods all the time. You know, we'd have to be building a lot more ships to replace the ones we lost. So how do people operate that way and not end up like, you know, dead, homeless, etc.? Because even though we have a problem with poverty and homelessness, in the end, the majority of people in this country end up overall okay. Some of it is social safety nets. Whether you like them or not, you got to admit that, you know, that does play a role in this. But that social safety net component is part of something much larger, and it's part of something that is truly insidious if you don't understand it. And that is, there are multiple systems of our society. We always hear people talk about the system. I want to I get out of the system. I want to rebel against the system. It is not a system. A system lacks resiliency. A system is an individual plan with individual components. And we can make it a complex system with some redundancy in it, but if that system fails, then we all is lost. People designed society in a, a structure of multiple interconnected systems, and society is quite resilient. Uh, that's not a reason not to prepare the way we teach you to prepare, but it's how most people get through life relatively okay without preparing. It's also how many people get smacked in the face by an event in life that could have been an inconvenience and now becomes a disaster, but yet they still manage to keep breathing unless it's a, a lethal event, right? It's, it's these systems of resilience, and that sounds like a good thing. And on some levels it is, because most people are not going to take charge of their life. And this is where it's important to have some understanding of what we think of the elites, the people that actually control society. Some of these people are evil pricks, but I'm not a conspiracy guy. I don't think it's all run by the Illuminati and an eight-armed man living in a basement under a building in Houston or something like that. Okay, um, That's not how it works. The main reason that governments and industry design systems is for the creation of stability. Now, make no mistake about it, they're doing it for their own self-interest. If you're Apple Computer, for instance, and you want to sell iPhones, you need a relatively prosperous middle class that can afford a monthly payment to buy your $1,000 phone. And if you don't have that, then you can't be successful, even if your goal is to control society all la 1984, right? You can't do it because there's not enough energy going on out there. The Matrix doesn't have enough batteries in it to fund your goals. So even when they are completely malevolent governments and industrial um, uh, cohorts, the goal is actually always some relative stability in society so then you can form your tax base and you can form your consumer base. And if you think about it that way, a farmer needs relative stability to run his farm. Spring needs to come when spring is supposed to come. It needs to rain when it's supposed to rain. Right? Then if you have fluctuations to the standard cycles of the seasons and rain and everything else, or the markets themselves, farmers go out of business. So farmers want relative stability. The people that design society are farmers. They farm human beings to harness their energy in the form of labor and income, and governments do the same thing, and they primarily harvest through taxation. But both of them want relatively stable societies. Got it? What does that mean? That means, in general, 
Your life has been designed for you. It's why you can coast through life with blinders on, and specifically if you start from the right point, upper middle class, etc., you can generally end up what you would call okay in life. But you're also having your life designed by others. That means somebody else is controlling you. Yours controlled, if you live that way, is if you're a puppet with somebody's hand up your ass moving your lips. And we can actually look at this and prove it to be true. Because we can say, the average person born into this type of family in this area of the United States will make about this much money annually in their career, be this likely to or not to go to college, be this likely to or not to own a home of their own, will probably live to an age of about this age. If they do die of an accident, it will probably be one of these three things. If they do die of a disease, it will probably be one of these three things. And you can keep going in all those demographics, and it's spooky how accurate it is. And that's because designs work, designs work, designs work. And that design is there, and that means unless you break out of it for good or bad, you're going to generally meet that average. And that's what people in control want. So you're either being controlled by the designers of society or you control your life. There is no third option. It doesn't exist. There's no where you're kind of in control in there. No, uh-uh. You either decide this chip, my body, is mine, my mental computer, my brain, and my spirit, and my psyche is my captain, and I am in control, and I will control this, and I will design this so someone does it for you. And that's actually horrifying if you really think about it. It's also incredibly liberating because it means you have a choice. When it comes to preparedness, the role that lifestyle design plays in the world of preparedness is everything we do in preparedness is part of a design process. Simply by becoming a prepper, you start to practice some level of lifestyle design. Because the human mind is the only thing we know of so far that can look ahead and say, here's all the things that could happen. If these things happen, here is the best things I could do. Here's how to be prepared for those things. Let me set these things up in order of the most critical and most important and most at risk down to the least critical and least at risk. And when I get all those things done, that sector of my life is now has more resiliency than it did before. And I, can, I cannot plan for everything, but I plan for the most likely and the most catastrophic. And now I need to move on to another area of my life and replicate that and do the same thing. If you do that, eventually you get into, we talked about at the beginning with, you know, the richest man in Babylon, Dave Ramsey and financial planning. So when we get the financial house in order, then it permeates through everything and all of a sudden we are designing our life. So when it comes to preparedness, you almost can't practice real lifestyle design without practicing preparedness and you almost can't practice preparedness without ending up practicing lifestyle design. The two are not really twins, but they are cousins. Right? They're very, very, they're kissing cousins, right? Very, very um, congenial cousins to each other. And they kind of merge into this thing where they kind of disappear. So when we design our lives, we, 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 we think of a point, let's like think about it the way most people do. I want to get to a point where I have this much free time, I have this much money, I have no debt, right? And so we think of it more of the proactive things rather than the redundancies. So we design that path. What does that look like? How do I get the ship from Japan to Los Angeles? 
And then when you do that, that naturally leads you to say, well, 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 what if this doesn't work? What if this thing goes wrong? What if there's a hurricane? What's my alternate route? When do I know that I, I've made a mistake and I need to go to a different port to refuel first, right? That's what happens when you plan the, the ship's course. You come up with these redundancies. When you plan your life's course, unless you are pie-in-the-sky stupid, you end up figuring out what those redundancies need to be. So the two are just entwined. A lot of people think, I think because of Tim Ferriss's work and his whole angle at 4-Hour Workweek, and that being one, not the only way, but one of the main ways people even know the term lifestyle design today is either because of Tim Ferriss or some blogger that's parroting Tim Ferriss. Um, most people think this is for entrepreneurs. And I've actually had people ask me, well, do you have to be an entrepreneur to be a lifestyle design uh, person? And my answer is absolutely not. You can have a wonderful life with a career. The problem is most people don't. And part of the reason is they don't design their life. And they end up in the career that they're able to get into rather than the career that they want to be in. And most people don't even know what the career is that they want. And the reality is most jobs don't pay that great. Okay, The majority of people working a job don't make a lot of money. Because if I'm paying you to do something, in most instances, I, I create a bubble that I'm going to stick you in. And I don't want you to be so important to me that if you go away, I can't put somebody else in that bubble. So employers compartmentalize what people do down to a point where it's like replacing a part And I'm not saying a human life is as insignificant as a part, but employers will see you that way because they, again, if you don't design your system, somebody does it for you in all walks of life, including your job. So that employer, does, I need a person to fill this role in customer service, this role in computer programming and maintenance, this role in janitorial services, at high end, low end, it doesn't matter, even doctors. A hospital says we need X number of physicians and X number of nurse practitioners and X number of nurses. This is the skill sets we need. And only a few of them will be the, the cutting edge, highly experienced neurosurgeon, right? Or the innovative programmer that is doing the latest and greatest and conceiving of and creating the newest and then handing down the work to the lower levels. And that's what you call a key man. In any business. There's even a thing called key man insurance. The employee you have or the partner in a business is so valuable that you cannot replace them. If your company doesn't carry key man insurance on you, and they probably don't, you're not one of them. Because no business that stays in business doesn't practice design of the business. And when you identify this person, if they go away, the business could fail then you put key man insurance on them. So if you want to know whether you're in a bubble, like a cog and a sprocket going together, or you are elementally key to your company's future, do they have key man insurance on you? If they don't, you are not. You can be replaced. Tomorrow, no matter how much ego you don't want to admit that, you can be replaced tomorrow. Even if the person they hire initially won't do your job as well as you, or never does their, your job as well as you do. 
It doesn't matter because they don't need that person to be as good as you. They only need them to be good enough to fill the bubble they created when they put you in it. So with that in mind, if you're going to do lifestyle design, you have to do one of two things. You either design what your career progression looks like to be at the top of your field, or you accept the mediocre income, and that's okay, and you build all the rest of your design around that level of cash flow. And you do one or the other, or you're not practicing lifestyle design. And, and then you understand how to make yourself resiliency in being able to fill bubbles. You know, I've got this job for 50 grand a year. Yes, they could replace me. That means other people might need to replace somebody like me. How do I make sure I'm marketable? Into the, that's one component of your design. This company falls. This company lets me go. This company downsizes. I piss off my boss for whatever reason, and I end up without a job. I need to already have a plan for how I just plug myself into a new bubble. That's how you do it as an employee or somebody with a career. Or... I'm going to get every certification. I'm going to get every new opportunity. I'm going to push myself to the limit. I'm going to be the top of my career. I'm going to be a key man. Even if my company's too stupid to buy key man insurance on me, I'm going to be somebody they should do it with. And you can pick either one. And the key is most people that do rise to that level end up on some level of partnership, ownership, etc. Anyway, they, they become some level of entrepreneur. So the role entrepreneurship and side hustles play in lifestyle design is the entrepreneur has a lot more freedom. They have a lot more choice in how they do things. And in general, entrepreneurs, when they're successful, make a hell of a lot more money than just about any employee in their same space. I make more money than probably 90% of people that do talk radio. There are the big guys, right? There are the Sean Hannity's and the Rush Limbaugh's, etc., the Dave Ramsey's, uh, you know, that work 87-hour days or whatever, and they're on 5 million different affiliates and the radio and stuff like that. Um, and, and honestly, I don't, want to, I don't want their life. I don't want to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and go to bed at 1 a.m. anymore. That's why I do what I do. But if you compare me to the average local radio host... Like that has an AM radio show from like four to six or something like that during the drive time for a local affiliate that's not syndicated all over the United States. I make way more money than they do. And I work way less hard. And I don't have anybody telling me shit about what I'm allowed to talk about, what words I can say and I can't say, what sponsors I have to take, what time I have to be anywhere, whether I can take a week off to run a party at my house. I don't have to explain myself to anybody but you guys, my audience. And by knowing you, I know what I need to do to keep you happy. An entrepreneur has that level of control, plus the additional income, if successful. Side hustles play a little bit of a different role. They do let you test whether you really want to be in business for yourself. But a lot of times, like a side hustle like an Uber or Lyft, that doesn't lead to a career. What it does lead to is cash flow. And that cash flow can then be harnessed and used to accelerate your time to retirement to maybe go, so it can be the seed money for a business. Let's say you wanted to go into a business doing plant propagation. That's what you wanted to do. It's just a random title I suggested because I spent this morning dividing plants in my aquarium and I was thinking, gee, these sell for $12 a piece. Too bad I don't have time to run a little business doing this. Maybe my grandson would someday. But instead of doing it small scale like that, you want to actually set it up where within the first couple months, you can be shipping thousands of dollars worth of plants every month. And you need about $20,000 in seed money to get that done. 
and you don't have $20,000 in seed money, and you're like, since I'm designing my life and my retirement, I don't want to go rob my 401k for that money. I need $20,000. Well, you can go out today, do Uber, Lyft, Rover, doing pet sitting, whatever, and in this one year, you, I mean, to do it as a side hustle, not a full-time thing, you will work till you cry. But at the end of the year, you'll have that money. And you'll have earned it in a way that's different than it just showed up on a paycheck. And you'll have it sitting in a pile. I know it'll actually be in a bank account, but it's in your metaphorically in your mind, it's a pile. And you'll have to say to yourself, do I really need $20,000 to do this business? Can I do 10 and put another 10 in reserve? Can I do five? How exactly should this work out? You'll be a lot better of a steward with that money than if you got it as a small business loan. So side hustles can either be seed money just for things in your life, Or side hustles can be seed money for systems that provide income for you. Side hustles can be seed seed systems. What if you did that $20,000 a year in earnings, actual realized earnings, from Uber, Lyft, etc., or any other side hustle you came up with for five years and had hundred grand, and threw that hundred grand into your retirement, and then just went back to your normal career? How much earlier in life could you retire if you did that shit when you were in your early 20s? Side hustles can help you find where you want to be. I met a girl. I thought this was awesome. When Dorothy and I went to Asheville two years ago, we took Uber and Lyft whenever we went into town. We had a hotel that was like a 10-minute drive. And because every option other than a DUI is less expensive and more fun than a DUI, since we were going to go out to eat and part of our vacation was amazing meals, Asheville, I like Gatlinburg for the mountains and the hiking better than Asheville. The food scene in Asheville, though, is amazing. And you guys know me. I love stuff like that. I love to have, you know, really unique food. And I'm gonna, if I go out to a place like that, I'm going to have a couple drinks. And whether I think it's safe for me to drive or not, if the police pull me over, I'm going to be in a state other than my own state on vacation going to jail. I don't want to do that. So we take Uber and Lyft. We take, took a Lyft this one time. This girl picks us up. And I always talk to them. I always want to know, like, what are you doing this for? How long have you been doing it? What are your plans? Because they have, it's amazing. Almost all of them have a unique story. And you see that these are people that want things a little bit more than everybody else. And her story was, I don't know where I want to live yet. So I am going from place to place, and I'm doing distance education for my college degree and keeping that down. And I go to a place and I use Airbnb to find a long-term housing option as cheap as possible, and I stay here, and I immediately start driving for Lyft, and it takes a little bit of time to change over from another state for Uber, but it's fast for Lyft, so I immediately have income. I go out to bars and clubs and restaurants, and I, I look at you know what are the jobs that are available. I meet people. I actually live there. I don't just visit for a week. And when I get to the point where I've got enough information about the place and I'm ready to try something else, I just pick another place and I go there. Okay? This sounds like vagabond, right? No, this is lifestyle design. This chick has her shit together. Because she had the, what was the end game in that? She wasn't just drifting around. She said, I've actually sat down and I've got 25 places lined up that I want to visit in the next four years. By the time I'm done with that, I'll have my degree, I'll have no debt, I'll have money saved up, and wherever I decide to go, I'll keep doing this until I find a job. And I'll know exactly where I want to live and exactly why I want to be there. 
I should have got that chick's name and information and brought her on for an interview. Because that is an amazing lifestyle design story. Because you can be designing it as you go. You just have to have an idea of where you're going to. Another thing we have to think about when we do lifestyle design is recreation and family time. We can get consumed, right? Because drive is important. We'll talk about drive a little bit more in a bit. Drive is so important. But we can end up designing out our relationships. We can end up designing out our recreation. We can end up designing out just the little things that we like to do that pull us out of being overly consumed. Recently, I've kind of kicked up my old hobby of tropical fish. I have had a couple tanks in my office for a few years, but I've started doing some planning work and aquascaping with one. I've brought in a couple more small tanks. After the workshop, I'm going to build a rack and bring in some more small tanks, aquascape those. And my wife's like, I don't understand why you're doing this. You have so much on your plate that you have to do. And what I told her is, honey, I don't have to do this. I get to do this. This is so different from anything approaching my work. And it's letting me create little worlds and things like that. Now, maybe that doesn't do it for you. That's okay. But you should have something that does it for you. The other thing we do is we schedule date nights. I schedule appointments with my wife. At this point, you and I are going to take a walk on this time, on this day. When I first started doing things like that with her, that was years ago, way before the podcast. She, she, she got a little offended. And I'm like, look, honey, um, I'm traveling three weeks out of the month. I work 80 hours a week. I schedule every single part of my life in that work. I schedule every appointment with every person that I meet with, with every consultant that I try to get a spec done with, with every installer that I try to sell on our equipment. I, I schedule all that shit with all those people. I don't even really want to talk to any of them. None of them mean shit to me. They're not my friends. If I ever leave this job, I'll probably never talk to any of them again, and I really haven't. But it's my job, so I schedule it. You're a hell of a lot more important to me than that. So why wouldn't I schedule the time for you? And that made sense to her. So you might have to explain that if you, you, know, if you become a driven person because of this, and you have a significant other that you end up starting to say, like, I'm going to put you down in my, you know, my calendar. Like, that's what you do for friends. That's what you do for acquaintances. That's what you do for business contacts, because you might forget. You shouldn't forget me. It's not that I'll forget you. It's that I want to wall this off. I don't want it to be anything but your time. And I want to make sure that I see it there, and I think about it, and I design everything around you, because you're that important to me. And you have to do that with some of your own recreational time as well. If you don't, again, it will get consumed. Next, I want to talk about how it changes your view of retirement. People ask me, like, when, when do you think you'll retire? And my answer at this point is, I'll retire from podcasting when either people don't want to listen to me anymore, and it's not worth doing, or I don't enjoy it anymore. My life is designed in such a way that I could walk away from this. Now, I'm not going to say it would not be with some sort of financial consequence, and at this point, only being in my 40s would be something else I would have to do, but I could. I just don't want to. And, and the reason for that is this is what I want to do. 
after 10 years, this is still what I want to do. And this is where I want to talk a little bit about design and drive and where those two things meet together. So when we design a plan, let's say for a business, as one component of lifestyle design, which is what I did here, I designed this podcast to become almost exactly what it is. Now, certain components of how I put the revenue model together and all, that came over time. Over time, I figured out, hey, this works better than that, etc., what have you. But in the, the, the macro, I knew this is what I want to do. I want to do this thing part-time in my car. I want to design it from the beginning to grow virally. I want people to get excited about it. I'm going to take everything I've learned and I'm going to continue to learn and I'm going to teach and I'm going to entertain. I'm going to use all the skills that I learned in 15 years of sales and marketing, doing seminars and things like that to talk about boring shit like cable testing. If I can talk about cable testing and I can make people actually pay attention to what near and far end crosstalk are, well then I can talk about actual exciting things that I'm excited about and get people to pay attention. So I'm going to build this thing. I'm going to build this to where I can walk away. When I walk away, I'm going to walk away clean. Once I walk away, I'm going to pour everything into this. This is what I'm going to do for conceivably for the rest of my life. And then along with that design, this is how the show will be done. It will be a daily show. This is going to be our sponsor program. This is going to be our membership program. All of that, right? This is how we're going to get traffic. This is how we're going to get people excited and telling other people. All of that was designed. Drive went along with it. Drive is what me got me when the when the iPhone went bing de dee bing 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 at four o'clock in the morning to rub the sleep out of my eyes after only having about five or six hours of sleep. Get out of bed, go downstairs when it was dark, leave my warm bed and my warm wife, make a cup of coffee, sit down and plan my show for the day and plan my day at the office for the day. Get in my car, do my show go to work, do my job, come home, do what I could to take care of my family, go to bed, and do it again. Drive made me do that. And you will not succeed without drive. Drive can run you in the ground, though, if your plan is wrong. If all you are is driven, and your plan is bad, and you don't adjust and make changes, you are a fly in a windowsill. So think about a fly flies in your house. It's flying around. It decides, I don't want to be here anymore for whatever reason. you know. So it flies to a window. I can see outside. I want to be there. What does it do? Bzz, 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 and it flies at that window. It is driven. Its little fly brain tells it, freedom is right there. I just have to try harder. And that drive, eventually that fly tires out and you find it laying dead in your windowsill. You ever want to kill a fly? You know, if you don't have the bug assault gun that you can get at T-Spaz, right, you want to use a fly swatter, easiest place to kill a fly, in a window. They're so consumed with going that way that they're easy to splat. That can be you if drive does not have design to go with it. Likewise, good design absent drive is also useless. Probably less damaging. You just wasted time making a plan, but if you don't execute, one of Spirigo's laws of life, ideas are useless Execution is everything. And it's not the idea is useless by itself, but the idea absent the execution is nothing but an idea. Trust me, no matter how innovative you think your idea is, someone else had it before, they just didn't execute. That's why you have an opportunity. 
And if you don't execute, your idea will become somebody else's opportunity. That's how drive and desire play into this. I also wanted to talk to you guys a little bit today about how we can get children to think about this. And one of the things that I just talked about at the beginning with silver and just teaching children there is value and a reason to store value, that alone gets them thinking in a process type mode. But, you know, there's a couple phrases that we think of kids saying all the time. And one is it's not fair. But whenever they say it's not fair, you should ask what they're really saying. Whenever somebody says something all the time, what are they really saying? And they're saying something they say a different way at times. I want. I want. Right? Kids are like, I want this. I want that. I want a new toy. I want to go over to Debbie's house. I, you know, I want this. I don't want to do homework. I don't want is another form of I do want. So if I don't want to do homework, I want the time to be free to do what I want to do. That's what you're really saying. And it's not fair means I want this and I can't have it. So what you're really saying is I want. That is the number one thing that kids say when you when you break down their phrases, it's the number one common denominator. And honestly, it's the number one common denominator in human beings. That's why I keep reinforcing to parents, children are not like some like doll that's not really a full human yet. When that kid is born, it's already a full, full, full human being. It just can't articulate, explain, and some things it can't understand. But it's a human being with all the thoughts and desires and wants and needs as any human being. And it should be treated with dignity and respect. Right? It's not something, ladies, for you guys to dress up 75 different ways. Right? And pass around like a toy in a group of people that all want to touch it. Right? I understand there's a space for that kind of thing, but like, don't overdo it. It bugs me when I see people do that with a kid to the point where it looks like the kid is a material thing instead of a human being. This is a human being. And as that kid grows to a point where you can have a conversation, you're going to hear that kid say a million different versions of the phrase, I want. So that's why actually teaching children to walk the path of lifestyle design is actually relatively easy. Because lifestyle design is all about designing a path to get what you want. And to understand to think beyond the next want, or even the want after that, or the one after that. What is the big want? What is the totality of what? What do you want in your life every day? Not just that next thing, Tommy. See, kids are interested in that. And one of the best ways, and it's not just for kids, but for anybody to figure out what you want, list all the shit you don't want. Everything you don't want, it's like an action and a reaction, Right? See, these patterns are everywhere. If you don't want something, it means you do want something. What are those things you want? And if you can get a kid, you don't have to get them to have a perfect plan. It doesn't even have to be good. All we want to do with a young child, you know, 10-ish, is get them thinking this way. Trust me, that plan will not survive next week, let alone next year. We just want them to start thinking in this pattern. What do you want? A very positive message. Kids are so receptive to what they want. And help them use it. You know, don't, just because I'm saying to help them try to see past the next want. When what they say, I want, I want a place. I don't know what the hell kids play with today. PlayStation, right? I, I want a new football. I don't know. Whatever it is. Then help them use the planning process to get to that thing. And when they get to that thing, say, that was great. What do you want next? It can be individual at that point. It's okay. They're not that mature yet. But every time you do it, start saying, like, you really need to think about what you really want in your life. Look, if this works to get a football, 
If what you really want in your life is to work with animals, we can probably design a way for you to get to that. Or whatever it is they want. And the biggest thing parents need to do to make this work, stop telling them what they want. Stop telling them what they want. Stop living vicariously through them. You design your effing life. You help your child design their own life. They're the designer of their life. You are there to help them make good decisions and develop the discipline so that they can. They design their life. You design yours. And as soon as you get them to understand, that's what's happening. I'm handing the reins over a little at a time because you're not ready for all of them yet. I am working myself out of a job. And when I'm done with this part of my job, I'll always be there for you. I'll always be there to counsel you, to care for you, to love you. Up until the day that I die, you'll be my son or daughter. But this portion of my job, to do it right, I have to work myself out of it. I want to put you in control of your life. And as they begin to comprehend that, they're very receptive to your guidance as long as your guidance is leading to their destination, not the one that you've chosen for them. You do that, you have no problem getting kids to get in on this. Trust me. A thing that people have asked me about this over time, are goals more important than the plans, or is it the other way around, or are they equal? Goals versus plans, you know, which is more important? The goal is the idea. The plan is the means of execution. They are pretty much equal The drive that leads to the execution is the key. But again, if the goals... See, goals are almost never the problem. Like, unless you have a, a mental condition that prevents you from setting reasonable goals. You know, if you think getting a purple lollipop is a reasonable life goal at 25, I can't help you. You need some professional help, right? You know, so if you take things to the extreme. But in general, whatever it is that people really want in their lives, if, if they're not in self-destructive, if your goal in life is to have the ability to pound three-fifths of cherry vodka every night, your, your, your goal is to destroy your liver. So that's not a good goal. As long as the goal is somewhat reasonable, the goal is almost never a problem. I don't care if you want to be an actor, which seems like you know a, a fruitless thing, but yet people do it and are successful. So if you can do it, you can do it. Or if you want to be a biologist or you want to be a podcaster, it doesn't matter. The goal is almost never the problem. And finding the right goals that lead there, that's a little more complicated. But that is how we build the plan. When the plan is flawed, again, we're back to drive and desire, that drive can, can lead you to be that fly in that window. So the plan is really the most important part to get right because your goal is an opinion you have. So, again, unless you have some sort of mental damage, your goal is going to be okay. But is your plan to get there doable? Is it workable? Is it well thought out? Are you flexible enough to realize this is a mistake and retool the plan? If you got that, mix it with drive, you'll get to the goals. Or you'll get to goals that maybe aren't exactly what you defined, but they will be good enough to make you happy and, again, rise you up above the people around you that live in mediocrity that let other people design their lives for them. You may find that your goals change because your views and your opinions change. As long as you're moving in the right direction, it's easy to adjust to a new goal. 
As long as you're actually heading to Los Angeles, changing your mind that you want to go to San Diego is easy to do. Even if you want to U-turn around and go to American Samoa, it's not that bad. And the more you're in control of this, the sooner you decide you want to change, and the less you know of a, of a chore that U-turn and the less time it costs you. Now, for all of this to work, I think the most important thing to understand is what I call programming our mental computers. A lot of people think of this from the standpoint of like, you know, positive thought and the law of attraction, and I don't mean anything like that. I mean that literally, your brain is a computer. The fact that you're listening to me, hearing my words, processing them, and thinking about them and forming your own opinions about how they should or should not affect you right now proves that not only are you a computer, you are a self-learning computer. That the goal of science right now is to create self-learning computers. You are one. That's why they call it artificial intelligence or artificial life. And that's what you are. And your computer, like every computer we've ever built outside of the human being, works via programming. That's why the TV people call what they do programming. They don't call it creating shows for people to watch, they call it what it is, programming. You watch a show, you take in information, you process that, you form certain opinions because of it, even if it's only an entertainment piece, either directly or subliminally, it changes who you are, it changes what you think about, it changes what, how you perceive things. It's a computer. All computers are programmed with a language. That's why they call, that's why they call it a language. You know, whether it's Python or, or whatever it is, old school C+, uh, it, it's all a language. It's all language. It's a language. The, the 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 computer comprehends the language and accepts the commands and then executes the commands. And if we use a, if we use the wrong language, the computer can't work. If you try to program your brain with French and you don't speak French, it won't work. And so if you're an English speaker, which I imagine 99.999% of the people listening to this show are, right? then you could be multilingual, but one of the languages you use to program your brain is English. And this is why we think in words. We don't think in forms and shapes and colors. We actually can imagine a red circle. Right? And right now when I said that, you can imagine a red circle, especially since I said it twice. You probably kind of see a red circle in your mind somewhere. And depending on your, how your mind works, you may see a very strong image of a red circle like I do. I'm very visual like that. Or you may just kind of like know what a red circle looks like. But you have an idea of a red circle. Now, does your red circle, is it just a line of a circle so that the empty is hollow? Or is it solid? Okay? You probably had one or the other. Now you can probably see both because the words... I want you to think of a circle that was drawn like it was drawn with a pen. It's just an open circle, red circle. And I want you to think of a red circle as though it was cut out of a piece of construction paper. So you can think of what both of those look like. That's your mental computer responding to a programming language. And the computer we have, that gray matter between our years, is the most powerful processing computer known to man. It is conceivable that someday science is going to develop some type of quantum computing. God knows what will happen when they do that actually is more powerful than the human mind. But right now, nothing is. Computers can do things that individual humans can't, but only because we tell them to and how to do it. And they're limited to that thing. 
They can't do 27 things at once like a human being can. You know, they can't be driving a car, listening to a podcast, making decisions about what they're going to do at home because of this podcast, and also deciding I'm going to stop on my way home to pick up some beer at this store because their cooler is colder than the rest, and the car is kind of low, so I'm going to go ahead and fill up my gas. And I haven't talked to Tom in a while, and I think he's going to be around, and my wife's going to be late, so I'm going to give a call, a text to Tom and see if he's around, and maybe I'll stop and have a beer with Tom before I finish up and go home. And tomorrow I got to take, because it's going to be Saturday, the kids have a... Computers can't do that shit. And you can. And a lot of times there's a background, like we think of computers, a background process. So let's say you have a sales meeting coming up, or some sort of meeting. I don't want to box you in. Right? You have some meeting coming up at work, and you're going to have to talk for 10 minutes about something. And you generally don't do that. But you got a week to get ready for it. While you might even script it and all, In the back of your mind, even when you're not focused on it, even when you don't know that that's what you're doing, you're thinking about the fact that it'll be Tuesday and these are the things that are going on and you really need to make sure you get to, like your mind's doing that background process. So the way we harness our mind, we ask the mind a question. Once we ask the mind a question, how do I get to point A? Not only is there an immediate response, you start thinking, well, I can do this, I can do that, I can do the other. When you shift to doing something else, especially if you've written it down, and you've written down how far you've gotten, you go away and you do things that have nothing to do with that, and then you come back to it. All of a sudden you have new ideas. Where'd those new ideas come from? They did not come from the fact that you just read what you wrote a week ago, and they just showed up right at that second. Those new ideas are actually, in temporal sense, old ideas. You had them three days ago, four days ago, five days ago. You had them while you were dreaming while you slept. But when you came back to the problem and looked at it again, since that background process has created those new pieces of imagery, new pieces of knowledge, new ideas, new thoughts, new processes, you were able to access them, even though they formed in a background process. This is the mental computer that is the human mind. We need to constantly challenge our brains. How do I? Right? People say, I wish I could. That is, that is, that is junk programming. You know what they say in, in the world of programming? Garbage in, garbage out. That's loser language. It's loser programming language. When life has you lemons, make lemonade. You just told your brain, when shit sucks, accept it. And do the best you can with it. Right? Uh-uh. No. Life hands you lemons. Do whatever the hell you want with the lemons. If you want lemonade, make some. If you want to make friggin' vodka tonic, do that. If you want to throw the lemons away and not care about them and do something totally different, do that. How do I? How can I? I wish I could go on a two-week vacation every year. Wrong. Wrong answer. Shit programming. How can I design my life so that I can take a two-week vacation every year? There is an effing answer to that question. And I can't tell you what it is. Because my life is my own, and I have my own shit to worry about, and my own vacations to worry about. You need to figure out for you. So you ask that question. Kick off those background processes. Write that down as one of your goals. Have the goals and have plans. And the goals seed the plans. See how simple that is? 
You write that down. You look at it. I don't know right now. Fine. Go do something else. Get back to work. Your employer's paying you by the hour. Go do your job. You took that little five-minute break and you looked at it. Background process is run. Come back. Look at it again. Huh. Still don't know that one. But this other, I know what I can do with that. Well, that leads to this. Okay. Put that away. Come back. Oh, wait. See, that led to this. Now, that was, wait a minute. If I do this... Then that would let me take more time off from work. Okay. So now I have the time. Now I need the money. Computer. Like just think of yourself like Star Trek. It's kind of the metaphor that it is. Okay. Hey, by the way. Because Star Trek is all reality plays. Right. Um, but, or more, I'm sorry, morality plays. But in that it all has this giant analogy of when you're talking to the computer, you're talking to yourself. Um, so... You ask yourself now, computer, how do I get the money to go along with the time that I've now organized? And the computer starts processing. It doesn't give you that instant answer. Sometimes it does, but usually it doesn't. But now we come back to that, and eventually we figure out how to allocate the time and the money. We also figure out the sacrifice. Computer, is the sacrifice worth it for the long-term goals? And then you make a smart decision. This is lifestyle design. This is mental programming. And again, computer programming is one thing. And societal programming is another. You are programmed from birth to think a certain way and to believe that certain things are required of you. The system programs you. The people that run the system designed a system to program you. And that means that your lifestyle is designed by the people that design the system. How do you feel about that? Do you like that idea? Do you like the idea that somebody who will never even know you, doesn't even care about you, will never know your name, wouldn't piss on you if you were burning, put a certain component into a system so that you'd fit into a certain cog or sprocket in a certain way and that basically society would be stable because of it? Do you like being that type of a pawn? Or do you want to feel like you have your own choice about your own destiny? If so, step up. Design the life that you want for you. Let me tell you something, guys, gals. Ain't no one going to do it for you the way that you want it done. They'll be happy to do it for you. Like I said, we can look at where you were born, how old you were, station in life of your parents. By the time you're about 25 years old, we can tell you just almost exactly what your life is most likely to look like. Scary accuracy. That's because that system was designed to work that way. It's your choice. You can either just be like a, a leaf in the wind and follow along with it, or you can set your sails and chart your own course. I hope you enjoyed today's show, and I hope you take it seriously. hope you talk about it with your kids, too, and put them on this course, because they're going to need it more than you. Because one thing that's coming, and we all know it's coming, is massive disruptions to these systems. And that means the people that are going along like a leaf in the wind, every once in a while, you end up with a whirlwind, And maybe that leaf just disappears forever. You don't want that to be you. You don't want to be your kids, your grandkids. Have a plan, design your life, and teach them to think that way to design their own. With that, hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, one of the ways you can help support us is by doing your online shopping at a little website called tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z.com. I won't go long because i got a simple little one for you today. Um, you guys know me. I love to cook. That's another big thing to design in your life. Skills. Right, And one of the best skills, because we're going to eat it every day, is how to cook. And how to cook really good stuff. Right, I mean, because 
my wife and I, we go out for the social experience. We don't go out for the food anymore. There, there, with a few exceptions, like some of the stuff Chef Tim Love does at Lonesome Dove. Guy's awesome. With a few exceptions, there's nothing we can go out to eat that I can't make at home. So we go out for the social experience. That means we save a lot of money. That's a great reason to become a great cook. This little item is like nine bucks. And it's actually four little items. This is a basting brush. I know that's like that very survival or whatever, but man, I'll tell you what, you want to make food exceptional, make a really good dry rub, grill some meat, and baste it with an awesome baste right at the end. It's it's just a cheat code. That's what I always try to do is put cheat codes into life. Uh, I'm doing an interview right now uh, with a comp uh, with a, another podcast. They want to do a, a feature on me. And uh, they're asking me about how I built the show and all. And they said, when did you hire employees and how do you manage your sponsors? And I said, I try to design things out of my life. I don't manage my sponsors. If they need something, I help them. I have them all on auto pay. They make money so they don't leave. I have no employees. I have systems that take care of everything. I don't want employees. That's not why I went into this business, you know. So cheat codes for life, cheat codes for business, cheat codes for cooking. Good base are a cheat code for cooking. Here's why I have these things. And basting brush, like, why do you need me to tell you what basting brush to buy? Because 90% of them suck. What happens is you've got, like, a, a, you know, the brush is attached in a way either the bristles fall out or the end falls off. They don't last. These are made out of silicon. silicon. They are a single integrated piece. I've had mine for over two years. All four of them are still, like, brand new. They don't melt when you, you know, brush them onto, like, a really hot piece of meat or something like that. And if you read my review today, I have an amazing based for you guys. This is like a go-to based, and it just makes food, especially like chicken, quail, and pork, awesome. Hit it with a little sesame seed at the end because it's kind of sticky. Oh, I mean, it is top-end restaurant stuff. These brushes are all the way to go. You can check them out. You can find them at tspaz.com under the most current reviews. You can find them under the cooking gear category. Remember, all the categories are there alphabetically for you. And somebody recently just emailed me about a product that I recommend that's not available anymore. I gave them a new recommendation. If you, like, guys, sometimes I miss it, right? You ever find a product I recommend no longer available, email me, and I will, within a couple days at the most, usually right away, be able to give you an alternative to it or tell you where you can still find it. Uh, and that helps me keep stuff updated. Remember, if it's at T-SPAS, I own it, I use it, it's in my house. If it wasn't, I wouldn't ask you to spend your money on it. That brings us to our song of the day. Again, I'm calling an audible today. Going off John Adams' list, trying to get back in sync so the next artist, band, etc. that we have as a weak feature actually is a weak feature. Um, but today I, I wanted to bring one of my own songs that I really love. And I do like country music. And I, I tend to like older country. And this is more of a modern song by a modern artist. The, the artist is a little bit pop. You know, pop country, not really my thing. I'll tell you, like, you're not going to hear a Luke Bryant song on this, on this show. That's not ever going to happen. Uh, but this is a guy not quite that far into like the pop country genre formulaic, but a little bit, but I love the lyrics of this song. The song's by a, a guy called Lee Bryce, and it's Love Like Crazy is the name of the song. But this song is really about lifestyle design. It starts out with a young couple that are being told they're too young to get married, and you know they've been together 58 years. You don't do that drifting. You have plans and goals for a life to get there. The second verse is one my wife says makes her think of me, even though it's a little bit different. It's about a guy that just pours his heart and guts and soul into something, and he sells his one-man sh uh, shop to Microsoft, and they pay like crazy. And it talks about how they got there and the things and the way they lived their life to get there. 
And it's more about morality and, and being a good person and taking care of those you love, believing in something, and it kind of leaves out the planning process. But let me tell you something. You don't do the types of things that you hear about in this piece of music without a design and a plan to go along with the drive. You just don't. The people that get there make a plan, they follow the plan, they have the humility to accept when the plan needs to be altered. They make the alteration, they make the correction. They do, in the words of our military, adapt, improvise, and overcome. And they execute. And they drive on until they get what they're looking for. You can build the life you want. You really can. With that, this has been Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Help me figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. They called them crazy when they started out. Said seventeen's too young to know what love's about. They've been together fifty-eight years now. That's crazy. Sixty-seven bucks a week. Bought a little two-bedroom house on Maple Street, where she blessed him with six more mouths to feed. That's crazy. Just ask him how he did it. He'll say, "Pull up a seat." It'll only take a Tell the truth and overuse. I love you. Go to work and do your best. Don't outsmart your common sense. Never let your praying knees get lazy and love like crazy. They called him crazy when he quit his job. Said them home computers, boy, they'll never take off. Well, he sold his one-man shop to Microsoft, and they paid like crazy. Just ask him how he made it. He'll tell you faith and sweat. Never get too old to call
started out They've been together 58 years now Ain't that crazy?